We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast. We're brought to you by ZoneCoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. It is Thursday, November 14th, and the Minnesota Timberwolves are 7-4. and four. They are heading into a Friday-Saturday home-home back-to-back against Washington and Houston. I'm joined in studio today, as I pretty much am every Thursday, by Charlie Johnson. Charlie, our plan is to kind of rip through this whole roster. It's been 10 games of the season, or 11 games of the season, so about an eighth of the way through. And I just remember from past years that it can just start really, you get the momentum of the season, and all of a sudden you're like, okay, now we're 20 games in, we're 30 games in, and it just kind of, I think it's good to take chunks of the year and be like, this is where we're at with this team or with this player, and particularly, I think, in the wake of, what Andrew is doing and just what the team is doing, it's easy to kind of, you know, let an interesting subplot like Josh Okoge or Jeff Teague kind of fall by the wayside. So we will, of course, hit on Andrew Wiggins, but um, I do want to kind of hit on all 11 of the rotation players that we have that are playing right now for the Wolves. But before that, um, they're seven and four, and they How beat, about that? <laughs> they beat uh, San Antonio on Wednesday pretty handily. Do you have anything that specifically stood out from that game or this kind of most recent window? Yeah, I mean a ton, a ton of stuff. <laughs> like every game that I anything non Wiggins related. We'll hit on Wiggins. Will be the first yeah. player we go through. I think nothing, you know, super specific. But what comes to my mind is more of like a macro thing that I've been thinking about today. Is just that this is the perfect storm. Right now, like coming into the season, there was a lot of different right, correct opinions about how the Timberwolves could take a step forward or exceed sort of the broader expectations placed on them. And, you know, a lot of people would say Andrew Wiggins needs to do anything. Well, he's doing everything. And some people would say, well, you need to get some sort of positive value from Jarek Culver. And over the last, you know, three, four, five games, you're starting to see that. And you'd say, and Carl Anthony Towns needs to take a step forward on the defensive end. And he's done that. And you'd say, and they need to get, you know, something from the the wing crop of Lehman, Graham, Okogie. They just need to get some depth from them. And they've gotten it. And so as I just kind of think about these first 11 games, it's, wow, this is, everything is breaking right so far. Right. And really the, the four losses, I mean, two of them, we've talked about this before, but the two of them, Philadelphia and Milwaukee are probably, they're just extremely difficult teams for anyone to beat, but particularly for the Wolves who are playing so much smaller. Um, then 
the other loss you have is Denver, who I, I think the Wolves match up with decently, but that's one of the better teams in the NBA. Yeah, and they should have won that game. And they should have won that game. And then the fourth loss is Memphis, which obviously isn't a great loss. Memphis is not going to have a good record this year. And when we scan back through the season and the wins and losses, well, that'll kind of stick out a little bit. But it was on the road, and it's also one of the bigger teams in the NBA. Yeah, that kind of pokes at one of the, you know, the Wolves' weaknesses. I know Jaron Jackson didn't exactly like ball out, and like I mean, I don't think he scored. Yeah, but, but Brandon Clark did. But Brandon Clark, I mean, exactly. They're just a they're a team that plays two traditional bigs, and so I guess what what I take from that is this team does have its holes that you can kind of stick your finger in and you know make an issue out of. But if not, if it's if they are playing the quote unquote more modern teams. They can match up with and beat a lot of these teams, and and handily so in in some cases. So everything you said is true, but when I just look at that whole product that you describe and the way they are moving through the teams that they're moving through, it, it makes sense. If in the perfect storm, if the perfect storm is happening, I it makes sense that these were the games that they won and those were the games that they lost. Yeah, that's I hadn't even thought about that. That's well said. And uh, the Grizzlies' loss is concerning because you think back to the the last time the Wolves were competitive when Jimmy Butler was playing great. They lost probably six, seven, eight games like to, to bad teams, to Eastern Conference teams. I think Somewhere two around. of them were like were Memphis, and then the rest of them it was like weird Eastern yeah, Conference like teams, like Atlanta, to- exactly or, Orlando, Chicago, yeah. yeah. And so that's something to monitor because you don't want to play down to your competition. But every team, I mean, except for the outliers. Schedule alert with Washington, you know, you know, Friday. Yeah. Every team is going to have, unless you're an outlier, one, two, three of those. You just can't have eight of them throughout the season. Eight of those losses that you just should, shouldn't, you know, you should win those If you were going to be a playoff team. Yeah, exactly. But. And as I say, it's been a perfect storm. There's also been like Carl Anthony Towns got suspended. Jeff Teague has missed four or five games. I mean, they've been without a point guard for for a week now. Yeah. And that's for a team who going into the season, we talked a lot about the lack of perimeter creation that they might have to be able to still win without your point guards, without your starting point guard and your backup mm-hmm. point guard is impressive. Absolutely. So it's not like everything's gone well. No, but I mean, yeah, <laughs> relatively speaking, it's yeah. been a... A fairly perfect storm. It has been. <laughs> um, so when I, when we were texting about putting this together, um, we want to hit all 11 players. And a good way to do that is to kind of grab a stat and then extrapolate kind of off of that. Uh, all these stats come with the, a bunch of qualifiers of um, particularly like the aggregated ones. Andrew Wiggins has played a handful of games with Jeff Teague and a handful of games without Jeff Teague or with Cat or without, you know, so um, the stats aren't perfect, but we're getting to a point where they can kind of give you hints yeah. at, at things. So you went through each player and kind of grabbed at least one stat for, mm-hmm. for all of them. So let's let's start with the stat and and go from there. And I, we, I mean, we got to, even though the, we, the last podcast was entirely Andrew Wiggins, pretty much. We'll start with him. We got to start with Andrew Wiggins because he deserves it, man. Deserves yeah. It. Well, like you said, holes can be poked in almost all of these stats. And also, because this has been so much fun, I pretty much looked for all positive stats. There are very, <laughs> very few negative ones. So just to put that yeah. disclaimer out there. But I've got like nine for Andrew Wiggins. So <laughs> I'll just start with one. Um because Cat missed a couple games and just because they've been staggered a little bit, Andrew Wiggins has played 160 minutes without Carl Anthony Towns on the floor. And in those minutes without Cat on the floor, 18% of Wiggins' points have come from the mid-range and 31% of them have come from the paint. But in 220 minutes with Cat on the floor, he's almost doubled the percentage of his points that are coming from the paint from 31% to 59.4%. And the percentage of his points that are coming from the mid range is almost slashed into third from 18% to 5.7%. So you just, I don't want to make, you know, Mm -hmm. Andrew Wiggins is playing great. I don't want to like give all that credit to cat, but it's helping. It's helping the the space that cat provides. Well, so you said the numbers like 31% when he's not playing with cat. Yep. He's taking 31% of his points. Come from the from paint, the, from the paint, and eighteen percent from the mid range, when he is not playing with Cat. Okay, yeah. Well, I'm I'm just before this season, a third of his shots were coming from the mid range. 
Oh, and now wow. that has been cut in half this year yeah. to 16%. Yep. That was at least entering um, prior to the Spurs game. So I guess what some of that is suggesting is that without Cat, he's playing like old Wiggins, mm-hmm. or that at least the shot selection is a little bit, I guess yours is the point selection, but the shot selection is is more old school. And yeah, I think if you watch any Wolves games, you can you can see that. What is... What is unleashing Andrew Wiggins? What is making particularly the very easy buckets at the basket or the ones where he just looks like a gazelle getting to the rim? It's because Cat's out there and he's not in the lane. Yeah. So LaMarcus Aldridge isn't over there to contest it or Valanchunas or whatever. Like, it's spaced out. Wiggins has one guy to beat. Yeah, you just see it in practice game after game. The the front court pairing of Robert Covington and Carl Anthony Towns, I, I cannot imagine mm-hmm. a front court pairing that could provide more spacing for a team. It's it's been fun to watch. So so I wrote about uh, Wiggins for this week, and the one stat for me that really popped was that he is kind of the thrust of my article. If you haven't read it, is is that I think things could get better, um, and there's there's things you could point to as to what could improve and. One of the main things is he's not getting the free throw line at all. Yeah. And particularly like on drives and the pick and roll, like at almost zero, crazy, much, much lower than he has any other time in his career. And um, it's totally because he's, there's not guys there to foul him. Yeah. I asked, I asked, I didn't even told you this. I asked Ryan about this before the game yesterday. And he's like, he was like, yeah, that's what it is. There's, he goes, cause what Ryan said is they did a they kind of did something similar where they go, are going to go every ten games and put together like the season into chapters in that sort of way. Okay, look at what they've done, and he's like, yeah, that's something we noticed as well. But he said, I don't think that that's a bad stat because we went back and looked at what the shots are, and in so many situations there wasn't even opportunities to draw a foul mm-hmm. because there wasn't there wasn't a guy there. And and for me in my article, I just I wanted to show a couple um, examples of of cat dropping off passes assists to Andrew Wiggins. It is crazy. I'm watching the video because NBA.com, you can just do all towns to Wiggins assists. Mm -hmm. And on every one of them, man, it is, the floor is so spaced out. It's like all the other wings are like well outside of the three point line. And it looks so easy for Wiggins to score. And it's just the, the defense actually looks just stupid. Because for me, in my head, I'm like, I'm seeing Cat and Wiggins doing this every single game, multiple times. So it happened early in the Detroit game. I was like, how do they not have to scout it? Yeah, the like, first play of the game. The first play of the game. Yeah. And and then I just think it's like, there's too much space. It looks so easy because there's too much space. And all Wiggins, basically, all that really needs to happen is Cat needs to place the pass like within Wiggins' area. Mm-hmm. He needs to catch it, take a dribble, maybe, or just go up and dunk it. I yeah. mean, there have been... Or lay it in because he doesn't dunk it. You know, <laughs> there is... Yeah, that is annoying. It's weird. I, that, too, separate tangent. I was... I'm, like, going back and looking at stats, and his stats this year most parallel the 2015-16 year, his second year in the league. And, and so just... I was like, well, I can't really go back and watch all those games or anything like that. But I just pulled up... His 2015-16 highlights. Yeah. And they're highlights, so all those disclaimers. That dude is dunking on people all the time, or he's, he's rampaging into people. I mean, he's 20 in yeah. that. And he's, like, crushing into a big and finishing a layup on him. Or, or most of the memories we have of Wiggins dunks are, like, from that year. And, yeah, so that's kind of something, too. Because that, if you're going up to dunk, then you're going to be more likely to get fouled, too. Yeah. Because it's just a more explosive action, right? Rather than... A layup can kind of um, a layup. You could kind of be moving away from the defender to try and lay it in and around them. It was one of my biggest gripes with Zach Levine when he was here. I remember he would always be his head would be up at the rim. Yeah, and he would like kind of get bumped by someone. And he would try and like lay it in off the glass. I'm like, dude, you're right there. Dunk it, <laughs> dunk it. You're gonna get an and one. And I swear he missed like a handful of those layups. I mean, most of the time he was good. I'd be good enough to still be up there and lay it in. But whenever he would miss a layup, I would be like. Well, you wouldn't have if you would have just dunked yeah. it. And, and Wiggins, is, Wiggins has had a little bit of that this year, but we're clearly picking nits in that <laughs> in that in that realm because he's getting um, he's he's getting the hard baskets that he's making. Yep, and he's doing that effectively. But there's also just a system in place that allows him to get so many easy looks. You want to hear just run through a few more Wiggins yes, stats? Just fire them off. 
Okay. So his, his assist rate this year is 17.7%. Um, most of these stats are from cleaning the glass. So they filter out garbage time. So if you look at NBA.com, mm-hmm. it's a little bit different. Um, that's why 17.7% assist rate this year. It's in the 76th percentile at his position group. His previous best was 10.8% last year. His assist to usage rate right now is 0.63, which is in the 50th percentile, which like pretty good. But the previous best was 0.45, which was in the 18th percentile. His turnover rate at 6.1%, 97th percentile, previous best 9%. Um, thir- you, know, you said the mid-range one. And his effective field goal percentage is 53.4%, which is 65th percentile at his position. And his previous best was 48.6%. Like it's all those factors. It's the spacing. It's it's his improved confidence. It's that ability to get to the rim. And that's all culminating in a more effective and efficient player. Absolutely. The vision. I mean, the one that is most surprising from, I don't know, they're all surprising, but the turnover one, mm-hmm. because he is looking to distribute and he is passing, which leads, I mean, passes lead to turnover opportunities. Yeah. So to drive, so to drive, you know, and he's doing both of those things and to have it be that low, that's, um, that's probably the most, I mean, you saw that play yesterday where he kind of came in, he got it in the corner, he came in from the baseline and hit Covington like perfectly in stride for a Covington dunk yep. coming from the other corner. And it's like, I don't, I would have never guessed he would, if you asked me four weeks ago that he would ever be able to make that play. Yeah. It was literally the perfect decision to be made in that spot. So it's those of us on. There was a lot of laughing on Media Row. We weren't laughing at him. We were just like sitting there, and, like, and Britt is just like, <laughs> I can't believe this. He's like, Who is this guy? Who? What he said to me, he goes, Who changes this much after playing over ten thousand minutes in the league? And I was like, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, what I attributed to is the basketball court is shaped completely different for him now, and. He's a little bit older. Yeah. And, and he's got better. Like, I, I yeah. don't want to take it away from him. Like, he's sure. clearly improved some of his skills. But like you're alluding to, it's just this another perfect storm of factors <laughs> for Wiggins to succeed. And that's what he needed. I Again, man, I'm, I I don't know. I, it probably is more easily uh, understood on the, the article I read because I wrote because there's video in there. But I, I really do see a handful of ways where this could get even better. And the chief reason of among them being that Cat hasn't really played that well this year. Mm-hmm. And if that starts, if they are playing, if Cat is playing like he did those first three games before the before the fight, and Wiggins is playing like this, and those happen in tandem, like, damn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's move on to Cat. Uh, what do you have? Uh, what do you have on him? Well, this kind of goes to uh, the idea of how well he spaces the floor. So Carl Anthony Towns is attempting nine three-point attempts per game, and he's making forty point seven percent of them. Which also it kind of feels like he's like a little cool. Yeah, which is crazy. So the the list of players in NBA history who have made forty percent of at least nine three-point attempts per game over the course of a season. Steph Curry in 2015-16, Steph Curry in 2016-17, Steph Curry in 2017-18, Steph Curry in 2018-19. And now if Cat can keep this up, Carl Anthony Towns in 2019-20. I kind of hate stats that are about three-point shooting volume. Because it's just year over year, it's going up. But that's pretty crazy. It's pretty <laughs> that's crazy. That's pretty good stat. I mean, yeah, like yeah. there are holes to be poked in all of these. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, it's... And that's been the, that's the whole thing with him, right? Is that in a lesser volume he has, but not that small of a volume. He's been a player who's been able to shoot with the effectiveness of Steph Curry mm-hmm. from beyond the three point arc. And as we've talked about before, he's shown a little bit of ability to create his own shot. I mean, uh, Wiggins was talking about the other day at practice. He's like, people don't understand that, like all different types of sets a cat can. Cat can play every single spot in our sets. Yep. Like everyone makes a big deal. Like, oh, point cat. Remember how they, they, I don't know, there's like video of his trainer or something. Yep. And it's like point cat. It's like, no, I actually, that is a bad idea. That, that would be a bad idea if he was actually the point <laughs> guard. What I think is mo- way more interesting is being able to use him in the, the X spot of the two, three, four, and five and run him off of, that's what Wiggins is like. You can run him off of pin downs mm-hmm. or you can run him in any single way. And he has the, What's most impressive about his shot is his footwork is flawless and his feet are so damn big. It's crazy. Yeah. And that's, um, 
I, I, I don't know, 40% is hard to do, particularly at that volume. I would guess he doesn't do it, but I would be shocked if his if he continues to shoot how he has these yeah. last four sort of games since he's been coming back. Yeah, I would guess it settles at like 38.2% or sure. something like that. Let's remember but that. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I hadn't heard that quote from Andrew Wiggins and it just makes me like, it's so wholesome that these two have been through so much and they've, st- Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, and they've stuck together. And mm-hmm. if this can continue and they can find success together, it will be a really cool story. And it's just cool how much they've stuck together through all of this. I believe so. Cat is a special kind of big. He can play inside, out. He can come off a pin down, shoot the three. He can do a lot. So he spaces the floor for everybody, you know. He's in the post some, but other times he's on the wing with us. I feel it opens up everything for him, for me, for everyone else. That's great. That's like the season, right? In a nutshell. Yeah. Right and it's, there. Totally. And it's a quote from Andrew Wiggins. And <laughs> that's it's all, that's <laughs> Yeah. And it's also Cat, like... I think that over the last few years, Cat's reputation has been dragged by Andrew Wiggins' shortcomings sure. because it's just they're on the same team they were drafted. I've said that a million yeah, times. I've been like, don't don't put them together. Like, exactly. Think of it. You got to kind of separate the two. Yep. And for Cat to to despite all of that, still stick up for Andrew Wiggins before the season. Say, you guys don't know this is going to be a breakout year. He said he said that before every year. Yeah. It uh, that's cool. It is. No, it will be. If it happens, particularly in tandem, the two of them, I mean, it's stuff like this hasn't happened before. Yeah, totally. But I mean, the one, the closest comparison I can make is Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan of like recent history. Mm-hmm. But that was also, and I've talked about this that on this podcast before, where it was like Kyle was coming in from Spurs. another team and and he was also... He was also older than DeMar DeRozan. I thought that that kind of like, it was like a big, the way I took it up, obviously not in Toronto there, but like kind of a big brother relationship. They became friends. Yep. And and that seemed to kind of, that was when DeMar was unlocked into being the better shooter. So it, it doesn't perfectly work there. And I my, the kind of thing I was thinking all along was, because I was ready to give up on Andrew Wiggins, was it's like maybe Robert Covington mm-hmm. can be that for Cat. Um, but... Better have all three. Yeah. (laughs) All right, wait. Two more on Cat real quick. Yeah. For the first time ever, the Timberwolves defensive rating is better when Carl Anthony Towns is on the floor. It's 103.8 when he's on, 104.3 when he's off. There have been years in the past where it's like darn near 10 points per possession. It was 10.1 first year with Tibbs, I remember that. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Massive sample size, obviously. It's a full 2,000 minutes Cat played. And and Noah Vonley's, like that bench unit's been great at defense. So for the, the team as a whole to be better when Cat's in there, is impressive. Also, his assist rate is at 21.5%. That's in the 95th percentile among centers, Jeez. only behind Jokic, Plumley, and Bam Adebayo, interestingly. Wow. Hmm. 95th percentile. That is. He, yeah, I mean, the way he's seen the floor, there's a couple of um, the over-the-shoulder yeah. head sort of passes are a little bit much for me, but he's connected on a few of those two. Really, though, again, with space, it doesn't even need to be special. It's like a... You're at, what, it's a look off one way, a pass the other way. You know, fake a pass, make a pass. And yep. that's, it isn't that hard for him in this system to be that 95% guy. He obviously has some skills there too to be able to do it. But that's something I, I would be surprised if that dropped off. I would too. I'd be shocked. Yeah, I, I think the passing might creep back up to where it was at the at the beginning of the mm-hmm. year. Yeah. One thing I want to know, the defense and particularly as it um, pertains to Cat, is they've started to make some defensive adjustments these last three games. And you and I have been saying over and over again, the the offense is the five out and the defense is just dropping cat back whenever there's a screen, you know, getting deep to the rim. They're adding on to that. And um, when I asked Ryan about that at practice today, the comparison he made was to, at the beginning of the year, Andrew was, we were just asking Andrew to get downhill and get to the rim to finish. And then after a few games, we asked him to get in there and then also distribute. He made that he made that comparison. Well, I kind of led him into okay. it, but he said yes, that's what it was. Yeah, cool. Similarly, because again, he said the 10 games, there's been the 10 games, and then adding on to it. Now we started to add on to it. And he said it started after after the Denver game, uh, or after the Golden State game. So starting with Denver, these last three games where they've shifted their defensive scheme some. And then I was like, is that a product of D'Angelo Russell and what happened? 50 points again? He's like 
partially that, but also they had they had plans in place. Yep. To, that's what he said, where we're starting to add on to what we're asking Kat and all the bigs to do down there. So what do you think we're going to see more of as a result of that? I think, and I was just, I haven't got a chance to look at a bunch of it, but with San Antonio particularly, because they're, they do so much more East-West that I think that well, they definitely kept Cat up higher. Certainly wasn't switching or being like super aggressive hedging or anything, but they don't want to have that depth, give that depth there because when you're moving East to West like that, the big or somebody is going to need to recover out to the shooter, even if it's a mid range, you know? Mm-hmm. And so if Cat's back, then, you know, we're adding an A, Pythagorean, Pythagorean theorem, right? Yeah. Then it's a longer <laughs> distance to get out there. So I think they kept it a little bit more flat with the bigs, but, um, yeah, it's not going to be as black and white as it has been, where yeah. we were just like, okay, it's a deep drop. Yeah. Um, so some of that, and I, I mean, I need to learn more about or rewatch what's going on there too, but it was confirmed by Ryan today that it's not just going to be what it has been at the beginning of the year, which we were kind of like, okay, you're just, you're just going to do it. You're just going to do yeah. it, like take away the rim. Yeah. So I think it's good. It's probably, I think it's a good, you can't just do that against everybody. They were going to, if you if you roll the same thing out there every single time, you're going to get peppered mm-hmm. eventually by someone in some situation. So, well, they already had been. Yeah, they had been for sure. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. We'll keep a. Yeah, that'll add a whole nother layer. Exactly. Um, Robert Covington. Okay. It's been a weird year for Robert Covington. I think he's playing well, but like there aren't great three point shooting stats to point to. But a couple of good ones for the sixth straight year. Robert Covington is above the 94th percentile at his position group at steal rate. Six years in a row, above the 94th percentile. Dude, he is he is one of the coolest. I, I know this because I watch a lot of the games at home, too, like the road games. I don't go to all the road games. But in person, it's so cool to watch Robert Covington when the shot clock is ticking down mm. and he's on defense. Like I don't know. Maybe you could be att- more attentive to this if you're watching it at home. But you know, TV doesn't always pick that up. The shot clock gets to like five seconds and he, I see, you see him, he's looking at it, the, the shot clock on the other side of it. And he starts and he starts like leaving his man and understands it's an opportunity to like, I can pounce here because if they have to go swing, swing to my man, like the shot clock's going to be over by the yeah. time we get there. And I think he's just kind of brilliant in, in that element of it and really just understanding spacing. And that to me, again, that's a, an eye test thing that I think matches up with being elite at, yeah. at steal rate. He's just, he's such a smart defender. He also, his defensive rebounding rate is 19% right now, which is his highest since 2015 16, back when he was playing more stretch four with the Sixers. And I think even though the Wolves have struggled on the boards, it's it's gotten better. And having a guy like Covington who can at least be a passable rebounder has at least made it not kill them. Do you think he is passable? Yeah, I would say passable. And I think that they've been helped by the fact that like Josh Okogie has been a really good rebounder when he's out there and Andrew Wiggins has been better. But I wouldn't give Covington anything more than passable. Yeah, I would agree with that. Maybe even under passable. Um, I know he had the 19 rebounds in a preseason game or whatever. But I think why this team is inching towards being statistically an average defensive rebounding team after they've been bottom five in defensive rebounding rate every year of Cat's career is, and I don't even know if this bears out in the numbers, but I think Cat's getting big-time defensive rebounds. Like, I, I think if you probably parsed it through, you looked at fourth quarter, his fourth quarter numbers, um, I, I think he's getting a lot of contested rebounds mm. in in that time, and I think that's super meaningful for this defense. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, that was the red heron, and, and a part of it, and we were like, oh, it's Tibbs screaming ice and this and that, and it's like, well, ice sucked, because it left the weak side so open to be offensive rebounded against. Sure, but you also didn't have guys properly defensive rebounding. And, you know, Cat had the, it was like, oh, he's averaging 13 rebounds per game, but... Going for every block, he's getting out of position. Yeah, it was... I know Cat's had big defensive rebounding numbers throughout his whole career, but I don't think he ever really rebounded outside of his zone before, which is crazy considering the average 13 a game, but I'm seeing more of that, and I think that's really important with this group. And then Andrew Wiggins. Yeah. I think Andrew Wiggins is, again, not just getting those rebounds where he just can, like, stand flat foot and it drops into his hands because the defense is already, like, going back. I feel like that was, like, an eighth of his rebounds last year. It's just you didn't even need to try for him. He's ripping away some contested rebounds, and 
A lot goes into being good at defensive pie. You've got a couple of nice pieces in Covington, and we'll get to a Kogi and Graham. But Cat and Wiggins have to contribute multiple things if yeah. this team is going to be an above-average defensive group. Yeah, and rebounding is definitely a big one. Let's keep moving to um, the recently back from illness, Jeff Teague. Yes. How about how good he was last night? I'm saying, man, we're we're on the we're on the Teague train. <laughs> um, Jeff Teague is hot. which I feel like makes half half of the listeners probably hate us because I get it. Like some people are like, you know, you just want to see Culver and Wiggins continue to roll. But I think Teague's a solid NBA player. And I think it was the Rubio thing. <laughs> Still, <laughs> I think it's the Rubio thing. Jeff Teague is hot. Sixty-four point one percent true shooting right now, unsustainably high. His career best before that was like fifty. I said with Britt, I said this will be his highest true shooting percentage of the season. But sixty—that's no, 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 of his career, yeah. of, of Jeff Teague's career, will be his best true shooting will be this year. He's shooting sixty-two percent from the short mid-range, so he's just nailing that floater, just mm. nailing it. And that's in the hundredth percentile among point guards. <laughs> Is he taking it? Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Good, because that's what he needs to. Yeah. Well, that's his floater. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, he right. he he does the pick and roll, and he looks for somebody to be slipping, and he can't find him, so he just puts up a floater, and yeah. he makes it every time. <laughs> the Timberwolves, and part of this is that noise, like he missed a few games, and also the offense is just better with him. The Timberwolves are scoring fourteen point four more points per hundred possessions when Jeff Teague is on the floor. The next closest is Robert Covington, who's plus seven point seven on Jeez. the offensive end. And I think, I mean, the, the plus-minus numbers, the on-off numbers right now have a lot of noise just because the Timberwolves don't do what Tom Thibodeau used to do and just kind of mm-hmm. do the hockey shift thing that makes it easier to compare lineups. Right. And it's only 11 games, and different players have missed some of them. Seven for him, yeah. Seven for him, yeah. But the offense It's not is, nothing. It's no. Not no. I'm trying to, like, poke holes in my head. And, yeah. Um, I guess they, lot, they played Milwaukee. He only played, like, 18 minutes in that Milwaukee game. They got... Wrecked. Yeah, he didn't play the Memphis game. Yeah, he didn't play in Memphis. Okay, so, so that, that would, would that would explain some of it. Yeah, um, but yeah, I my thing with Jeff Teague is just I think he's the fourth best player on the team, and I understand not wanting to mix up a lot of the juju you've got going on with Wiggins. But Wiggins was playing on he's playing the point when Teague was healthy too. There aren't point guards on this team. They have multiple ball handlers. Like, yeah, Teague is a little bit more traditional. Like he'll he'll probably hold the ball longer than if he's out there with Culver or even Napier. But what's the opportunity cost there? Like you take him out and you play a lesser player because of that? Like, no, Jeff Teague should not be the point guard of this team for like the long-term future. But like I think the Denver game's a good example. I think they win that game if he plays. Yeah. You subtract how many minutes did McLaughlin play that oh, night? Like I, I 18 agree. or something? Yeah. I mean, that that in and of itself. And when Culver's not, I mean, they need they need Jeff Teague. I could see it. I I wonder if if you want to like start Jarrett Culver, do it for Jarrett Culver, not for Andrew Wiggins. I mean, you okay, d- I like it, d- it doesn't have to be separate because it's kind of mutually beneficial. Mm-hmm. But do it for Culver. I could see it being like a Jarrett Culver starts every game, Jeff Teague finishes every game kind of mm. thing. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he'll just be back in the starting lineup tomorrow night. But wasn't isn't it funny the one. Uh, our guess was with Jared Culver, at least it was mine. I was making the oh, Colin yeah. Sexton comparison oh, yeah. last year, it. where it's like 10 games. Literally 10 games. 10 <laughs> games, and then, and then Sexton started last 72. And it's funny because the first 10 games were George Hill. And I've always thought of George Hill and Jeff Teague as like the exact same person. Because <laughs> remember, there was that one summer, it was uh, where the Wolves were like, they were going to get that like second tier of point guard. And it was yeah. like Lowry. No, 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 no. Not that not oh, that summer. Like Collison. Oh no. No, nope. Collison I- was lower. It was Teague, George Hill, and Drew Holiday was yeah. actually in that bin. Holiday ended up getting paid the most and actually turned out the best, the best because well, he was also younger. Mm-hmm. But I remember it was those two together and there was all, you know, Wolves World, like, oh, George Hill or Jeff Teague. And I'm like, I've always thought those two guys are the same. And that's funny. Here we go again. <laughs> so I don't know. I if it were me, uh, I think I would try and find ways to play Jeff Teague. Um as much as possible within reason. But uh, Britt, do you listen to the post-game press conference last night at all? Yeah, I did. Um, and Ryan said, he's like, well, Britt asked Ryan if that was yeah. something that uh, he would consider. And Ryan said, I don't know. Yeah, which feels like. Uh, yes. Yes. It's considered. <laughs> consider, I, that's what I think. Yeah. Um, Who's next? Drip, drip. Okay, let's move on. We're, yeah, we're already at a half hour, so we got to rip through here. Um, Jared Culver. 
Jarrett Culver. Okay. I uh this one is has the most noise because he let me just say it first. So the Wolves are scoring 117.5 points per 100 possessions when Jarrett Culver is in the game as a point guard and they're scoring 107.4 points per 100 possessions when he's in the game as anything else, which is generally as a shooting guard. There's a lot of noise to that because he played with the bench unit at the beginning of the year, and that bench unit's offense was a lot worse than the starting units. And then he started playing with the starters, and the starters' offense started getting better. But like maybe you but attribute it, some of that to him. It, But it totally meets, and the, it meets eye the eye test, test of he looks way more comfortable on the ball. Mm-hmm. So I'm not surprised that as a when he's played point guard that he's had a much higher that the offense has been more effective because he very clearly looks more effective and it looks he catches the ball sometimes when he is out there with another he's not the lead guard and you can see his brain like thinking what am I supposed to do here and that like that thinking switch just turns off when he's just creating yeah and even even if it's not like a long create it's just like okay here I'm bringing it up hesitation swing it kick it over to a Kogi or Wiggins or whatever it just it just looks so much more it looks so much more fluid so I I saw that stat as well earlier there was you who showed it to me earlier and I was like yeah that yeah totally makes sense to me and you get him involved and then he starts to do more like he's cutting better and more purposefully and he's getting to the rim more often it 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 feels like and i saw that 55% of his shots are coming at the rim which is just a really great percentage hmm. even though he's not you know making a ton of them just to be taking your shots there is it's encouraging i, I that's the thing we thought <laughs> the thing we thought was that <laughs> the the book on him coming in was that his most ready nba skill was going to be able to get to the rim mm-hmm. being able to get to the rim and that feels like it's shown up. Like I feel like his college scouting book has been effect has been accurate. Where you're like, okay, he played a lot of point forward at Texas Tech. He looks most comfortable now in the NBA when he's kind of playing a point forward. And his good moments come when he's getting it to the rim. And the one thing I I I'd say I was a little wrong on is I had a little more confidence in the shot mm-hmm. being good. And it's a it's a work in progress. I'm definitely not out on it. Like I am a couple other guys on the team's jump shots, but um, that was out there too. Yeah, people are saying. I mean, he shot 30 percent from three last year, and I was like, chill on the percentage. But those who actually watched him more than I did probably saw what now I've been able to see in these 11 games of yeah, that jump shots mechanics, particularly at the top, are inconsistent mm-hmm. and. Uh, it's going to require some work to kind of, I think, hammer down. Yeah. It's really interesting to me that uh, they don't really work on that, like, in pregame warm-ups, which kind of makes sense. But, you know, I just get to watch those yeah. every game. Like, not even pregame, like, right before pregame, but a couple hours before, the guys are out there going and getting their shooting work in. And you can just kind of see that Culver's shooting it different when he's above the break versus when he's in the corner. And I wonder as if what a coach thinks about that. Yeah. Do you try and like start coaching him on his shot like 90 minutes before the game? Like probably no, but. I feel like it's got to be, even though the NBA is so weird where you don't get that much practice time in season, it feels like a practice thing. Yeah. But. Okay, but but you're a big golfer, right? Yeah. Well, I can use a golf analogy. So you always. You pre- when you're on the driving range, you practice. You're working on like if you're changing your swing path or your mm-hmm. stance or something like that. You're working on that on the driving range. And if you're like going to a tournament or just to play around at golf, generally a coach would say, when "Just do it." You're, you're warming it. up. You're, no, yeah. don't oh. don't think about the things you're working on oh, before okay. your round. You're just warming up. You're getting your body loose. You see, maybe try to figure hmm. out what your miss is that day. But generally, that's a warm up. So that's kind of so what that's popped the into sa- my mind. That's the same thing as what up. this coach. Is, yeah. So Kevin Kevin Hansen, who's the like big white dude with kind of a yep. gray gray beard, who they he's their shooting coach and, and works with Culver in those pregame times. And I, I can just imagine as a shooting coach, you would have that like itch. Oh, to, totally. To be like, right? I, I don't know. I mean, totally. I'm not a, I'm not a shooting coach, but I'm sitting there and I have that itch. You know? Yeah. Like, oh, it looked different when you're in the corner. <laughs> like, <laughs> let me show you this video, yeah. Jared. <laughs> I tweeted it. <laughs> I, I did tweet it. I actually did. Um, okay, let's keep moving. Unless you have another Culver stat. No. Nope. Josh Kogi. Man, he's he's looked good. 
Dude, that dude is a fun. He's a playmaker, and and not in the traditional yeah. sense. Like in the least traditional sense, he is a playmaker. He just every time he's out there, he makes plays. Whether it's being subbed in at the end of the first, and he gives him a jolt of energy, or whether it's like a steal or a rebound with two minutes left in the fourth, like he is everywhere. You want to know the most? Uh, you'll be like, of course. So Chris Hine, who works for the Star Tribune, is a big 49ers fan. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, San Francisco 49ers fan. And Okogi is a big Seattle Seahawks fan. Okay. Which is like, I'm like, why are you are you a Seahawks fan? <laughs> and he's like, oh, I just love they had that really good defense <laughs> like six years ago. I'm oh, like, that's okay. kind of cool. Yeah, I was like, of, of course. Um, <laughs> that's but so, hilarious. But so he's just like always been big on the Seahawks this year. And I'm like, of course, Josh Okogi likes like the, the his first football team he fell in love with was like the Richard Sherman yeah. Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> but um I was just like, you know, it's it's fun to think about the step that Josh Okogie appears to have made this year on both sides of the ball. A, you know, a, a meaningful but still probably incremental step. And to think he's young, and if if this guy can do he this, just turned twenty one. He just turned twenty one. I, I just he, realized that if he can make this a similar step to this over the next two three years, he's going to be such a good player. I mean, he already is a really good player. A good player. Okay. Uh, it's 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 Marcus Smartish, right? Like that was the that was the optimistic projection, right? Yeah, uh, a year ago when we were just seeing these first little bits of excitement, but but now we're seeing more of it. Mm-hmm. It's consistent. It's every single night the where he's just a hassle, mm-hmm. and um, and then you just have to kind of ask like. Much like that defense or much like Wiggins, how can we add another like grain of rice every single game over the top to be able to be like, all right, now this is this is becoming something bigger and bigger. And I think that's just it's cool to see him have taken what I would call pretty big step forward this year without it coming from his jump shot. Yeah. Right. Because that was that is the inherent limitation for him until he's able to really remake that whenever that time comes in his life, if ever, mm-hmm. but to kind of have the same shot that he has, as he had, has had, um, to be able to be even more productive, I think, or positively impactful yeah. than he was last year, like credit to him. Yeah, totally. Sure. So w- one stat that kind of highlights his defense and also a little bit of defensive versatility 239 NBA players have defended 100 or more field goal attempts at the rim this year. Josh Okoge has defended 150 of them. So if you qualify it by players who have defended at least 100 field goal attempts at the rim, Josh Okoge ranks fifth among 239 by field goal percentage allowed, 50.7%. Wait, how has he defended 150 shots at the rim? It's just the way NBA.com tracks it. Like uh, Jarrett Culver's defended like 130 Robert Covington's defended. Like oh, just kind of like it being probably in the has range. something to do yeah. with the Timberwolves' new offensive scheme too. Because I think Cat. Well, I guess Cat's missed a couple games because he's yeah. only at like 220 or something like that. Huh. But all, all their wings have defended a lot of possessions at the rim on NBA.com. Interesting. And Josh Okogie does not let opponents score. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, relatively speaking, it that has been a really positive development. Not just him and the rest of the second unit's defense. I mean, we'll get to Noah Vonley, but. When when you have the layman kind layman Akogi Vonley even Napier and yeah when like that that group is bringing you something defensively I would not have I would not have expected that I I kind of want to see Covington accidentally get in mixed with that group a little bit yeah we saw it like one game maybe it was when Cat was in foul trouble it seems like it's happened more with Wiggins. Which is natural if you just think they need a playmaker. Well, they're kind of doing the thing where they leave. Wiggins is the last one to sub out. Mm-hmm. So that gives them some time with them. I don't know. Maybe it'd be better if that was Covington, but Covington is on the kind of the shortest stint limit minute wise. Whereas yeah. Wiggins is just, as always, like play Wiggins as much <laughs> as you can, as long as he can go. All right, let's keep moving. Jake Lehman. All right, uh, Jake Lehman. Oh, this was, I've just been noticing his 
uptick in playing time. And he during the first seven games of the year, he was in the 22 to 25 minute per game range. And in the last four games, he's been in the 26 to 30 minute per game range, which oh, interesting. is interesting to me, especially because him and Trevion Graham seem to kind of be like interchangeable parts, depending on what Ryan Saunders is looking for, who can kind of play the yep. three or the four. Um and I thought it's kind of offense or defense, right? Yeah. Not that, not yeah. that I, a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, it's by far, he's at like 25 minutes a game. It's by far a career high for Layman. And it's just been interesting to me for me to see that trend up. Hmm. And it will be enlightening to watch moving forward. Also, his 35% from three is like all you could ask for, at least personally. Yeah, man. I, you, we've already argued about this before. He, this is his, this is the first season where he's going to have a consistent opportunity at playing time, and that's that will help inform how good of a shooter he is. It was too broken up. Mm-hmm. That was too broken up, and Britt and I argue, have argued about this at games all the time where he says he's never going to be a good shooter because he shot 32% from three in his career, and I'm like, it just isn't – it's been too broken up. Any stat with Jake Lehman, and if you look at his game log, like – I don't feel like we knew him yeah, before well, this year. We're getting to know him this year. And I'm not not to dismiss all of those numbers. No, no. But you but, could say like the evidence is concerning, but that doesn't mean it's yes, like yes. indicative. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And that's Yeah, and I'm not saying watching Jake Lehman doesn't strike me as an above average three point shooter. No. But I don't think he's definitively a bad shooter because through his first three years when he was being kind of dragged all over the place that he only, but isn't it like 32% wasn't that? Something it, like, maybe, yeah. maybe even 30, but yeah. Yeah, maybe even lower. But it's, um, yeah. if he is able to do that, if he is that type of threat from the three-point line and this pump-and-go game he's been able to mm-hmm. show, and he's totally been what Rosa said. Remember that the yeah. first time he talked about him the day after they signed him was in Vegas, and he said, Jake is going to be a guy who makes our offense go. Yeah. And it, that is like, that's what's happening. Totally. I mean, not, he's not the point guard or the, but he, he is so much a part of the pace mm-hmm. when he's playing. Yeah, absolutely. And he's also playing a career high forty five percent of his minutes at the power forward, which is just mm. I didn't I don't think I would have guessed he'd play that much at the four coming into the year. Is that what cleaning the glass has? Yeah, and that's mostly with that second unit group, right? Because I mean, he does come in for play the four next to Vonley. Yeah, well, I was gonna say for Covington. But he doesn't always check the four. Yeah, I you think know what that's I'm saying? true. I don't know that like, the stats are perfect, but... Yeah, well, I mean, if I was doing cleaning the glass, too, and it was like Trevion Graham's out there and Jake Lehman's out yeah. there, I would call <laughs> Jake Lehman, who is tall, the power forward. But Trevion, you know, yep. took the... I thought that was interesting in both the Denver and Detroit game where in the third quarter, they were, they were just like, all right, Millsap all day, all day, like go oh, yeah. through... Go through Layman. Okay, they're gonna go through go through Trevion Graham. They forced the Wolves to go two bigs, and then Noah Vonley came in to play alongside Cat. And that was kind of the same thing in the Detroit game, where it's like Blake Griffin. Okay, you're gonna put you put Trevion Graham. You, you think it's like they took James, Jake Layman off of him. They put Trevion Graham on him because he's like stronger. Yeah, but it didn't. But it was still just go straight through him. That said, it does have to be a post up that you get that there, and it kind of does take teams out of their rhythm to totally. just be like. Where Blake just goes, okay, I got the six four dude on me, like just back down, back yep. down, back down. Like, I mean, it worked. It looked easy, mm-hmm. but it's it's so not what Detroit always does. So yeah, that's there's kind also of, you know, just some like you think about it with like the deep drop on defense too. Mm-hmm. On some level, if you're going to go this modern, like you are giving things up, and that's just going to be part of it. Like mm-hmm. you do give up a size, you have a size disadvantage that's going to allow opponents, especially if their offense isn't flowing, to just say, okay, screw it, we're just going to try to post people up. Which right. Gerson Rosas and Ryan Saunders probably just say, okay, right, unless it's terrible, and then you bring in Vonley if right. Millsaps. I like, just that would be my one qualm is like a little bit earlier they could have yeah. gone to Vonley. Um, or gone away from Graham and gone to Vonley earlier in the Denver game and gone not had Trevion Graham been on Blake Griffin. In that was the that Detroit was game. mean. I'll, <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> the Trevion. Well, he's our next guy out, so let's go to him. Okay, but Trevion Graham is getting some hard ass covers. He he deserves guarded, a thank you note. <laughs> 
He does. Kyrie Irving. I mean, every, every all the good players. Yep. All the good players, one through four, he's guarded all of them. Kyrie, D'Angelo Russell, Blake Griffin, Paul Millsap. Well, who are the other, some of the guards they played? Uh, uh, John Morant. Yeah, like, everyone. He literally, he just Garrett guards Gross, all of yeah. them. Port guards, shooting guards, small forwards, power forwards. Like, uh, his, this job's kind of tough. Yeah. Um, we're going to put Andrew over on, like, that Dan Gadgerich guy on the Grizzlies. <laughs> Trevor, we need you to go take, uh, we need you to go take him. So <laughs> that's hilarious. No, seriously, it's, that's part of the reason Trevion is part of the reason that Andrew, I mean, Andrew's getting the Kobe role. Yeah. And that's and, why he could just keep starting Trevion. I mean, yeah. like I kind of keep coming back to this, like, are they going to, you know, maybe start Okogi or start Lehman at some point? I just, I think Trevion Graham will keep starting because that's super valuable. He's, I don't know. He's such a smart defender too. He he is so Ryan's type. Like he, I don't know how to describe that or be able to show you in a quote. Okay, like, I do. You know, after the the Brooklyn game, I, I wrote about oh, yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After the Brooklyn game, there's this like the Timberwolves social media has been doing all this awesome stuff, and <laughs> they were in the lo- <laughs> they were in the locker room and they filmed like Ryan kind of like. Yeah pumping everyone up and he said okay Ryan this is paraphrasing said okay like before I let you all go I want you to look at this TV screen up in the locker room and watch this play and it was in overtime when Trevion Graham I don't was he racing Karis LeVert down the floor and he he got the ball and then he passed it up and it became I think a Robert Covington corner three and then Trevion Graham sprints into the lane and skies up yeah, for the offensive, offensive rebound. rebound. Puts and it in and one. Puts it in and one and Ryan Sanders points at that and says this is I'm paraphrasing again, yeah. this is representative of who we're going to be yeah. this year. And to me, that was like, that's a, that's high praise. Yep. And he also loved the wall dang. Yeah. And I, I see in a different sort of way similarities there as well. Yeah. Um, do you have a stat on him? No, I think that covers it. I mean, I have a kind of a negative stat on him. Just that he can't make anything. <laughs> He's third percentile shooting at the rim and third percentile shooting from three. So, so this is my thing. There is this play... Um, there's this play in, I think it was like the third or fourth quarter of last night's game against the Spurs. And Andrew's kind of rolling. And what the Spurs started kind of doing was bringing a second defender to kind of at like the 10 foot range. They're like, okay, we're not going to just let him isolate on us. And so Andrew's, what he's kind of shown some of that now when they bring a second defender or just even help, like one and a half, he'll like get kind of to the nail and he'll step up and jump because he's a freaky springy athlete. And he'll choose to hit the guy on the right wing or the guy on the left wing. And if the guy, if the defense has come in enough, normally that right wing or left wing guy is open. And what he had on this play was Trevion Graham on his left and Josh Okogie on his right. He got to get up in the air <laughs> and he like, I don't know if he actually looked both ways, but neither option was good. And cause it's just an open for open for a spot up above the break three, which those guys aren't going to make that much. He they might hits. not even take them either. They'll probably well, that's just take what, it That's where I'm going. So a Kogi catches it, and he's got a – I wouldn't be surprised if they went back on film and said, you got to shoot that one because a guy comes closing out, a Kogi flies by him, flies into the rim crazily, misses it, grabs his own offensive rebound, scores it, gets fouled, and won. <laughs> so that's great. <laughs> he, he did miss the free throw, though, so it's not three points. But – it hurts when it's both Josh Okogie and Trevion Graham. You know what I'm saying in that yeah, situation? Yeah. Like, I think those guys have roles. I think they're helpful on this team. But we're going to see teams starting to adjust to this Andrew Wiggins. Mm-hmm. And a main way of doing that is, and I knew the Spurs would be a team who does, because they dare, they dare people who don't want to shoot to shoot threes. And there's going to be more and more of that where there's going to, the second guy is going to be, leaving probably Trevion or Josh open Mm -hmm. and how they're able to manage that. Do you need to stagger Trevion and Josh because of that? Like those are, those are questions I think you need to, you need to answer or it's not out of the question that one of them could start getting hot from three and making them like bad shooters do that too. Shabazz Muhammad remember? Yeah. Shabazz. I mean, I don't know that it will come to fruition this year, but I have felt like Josh Okogie's catch and shoot three-point shot looks more confident and smooth this year. Doesn't bear on the numbers, Not doesn't look as good off the dribble. Looks better in warm-ups. Does it? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, maybe he could get up to that, like, 32 33% yeah. range if he just starts taking the smart shots, like the ones where he's got eight feet before the defender closes it, out. It's funny. I, I tell that story of him passing up an open look. 
Um, but his coach that he works with in pregame is Kevin Burleson. Mm. And, and he, I was sitting there watching and, and El Kogu is making more than he normally does in that, in that pregame time. And, and Burleson's like, shots looking as good as it has all year. You're about to hit four of them tonight. Like he said that to him. And that was before the San Antonio <laughs> game. I don't I actually remember how many he took. All I'm remembering is that he didn't take that one, but I do think that's true. Yeah. I do think he's he's taking steps in an open gym setting to have a better looking shot, a more consistent shot. I don't know. I would need to go back and look. I don't think that's happening on the floor in the midst of games. No, yeah, because you can be a you can be a kind of knockdown shooter in the open gym. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's another thing to be able to do it. It also seems like he's adjusting not to get too into Josh Okogie again. Like he's yeah. adjusting to last year, he just took the open three every single time. Yeah. He took yep. it every single time, and now this year he's trying to figure out when to take it and, and I like when to that. catch an attack. I like, I like that, it too. Which is, which is kind of counter to what I was saying because there's another play in the previous game against Detroit where, no, it was the game they shot 6 of 45, the Denver game, mm-hmm. where they're spread out all five wide and and Cat has it uh, on the opposite side, and Akogi was wide open in the corner for a three, and Cat was looking at him, and instead of staying there, Akogi dove right into the block for a catch for a dunk. Yep. And like for him, that's the better move, right? Yep. The open corner three or the the catching it by the rim, like I don't know. So th- that's like a fine line, right? Yeah. Of I think he should have shot the Wigan shot, but the Cat one's a little bit different because it doesn't require him dribbling. Yeah, he just had to cut in for the catch and dunk, and that's so, just tricky. Like, and he's twenty one. Figuring that out, yes. sounds tricky to me. <laughs> yes, Noah Vonley. We got Vonley, Napier, and Gorgie Jang. Okay, left. Noah Vonley. Um, the defense has just been so surprising to me and so solid. So I have three numbers on that. Surprising because I didn't. I thought of him as a solid defender, not a good one, and he's been better than I expected. I got a good quote on him from today. Keep going. So fifty one cent. Uh, Opponents are scoring, f- well, sorry. <laughs> the Napier, Culver, Okogi, Lehman, Vonley lineup is the Wolves' fourth most used. They have 70 non-garbage time possessions. Mm. So it's a pretty small sample, but their defensive rating is 88.9. And Noah Vonley is absolutely the, the linchpin of that group. Also, 51 centers have defended 80 possessions at the rim. Noah Vonley has defended 104 of them, and he ranks 11th of 51 by uh, opponent field goal percentage at the rim. Actually, Cat ranks 12th, so they've both hmm. been solid in that regard. This is what Ryan said about Noah today. He defends like he's a guy who knows everything that is going to be coming in terms of coverages. He rarely makes game plan mistakes right now. He does the little things, and, and then he's been a presence also in the post for us a little bit, especially with mismatches when teams are starting to switch. We'll give him the ball, and he'll go to the front of the rim. Yeah, he'll just go middle. That's a good quote. That's a good quote. Yeah. And he also said, uh, he was getting asked kind of about Noah and Gorgie, they're basically having to like chop up 16 minutes between the two of them to keep them both in the rotation, which is, you know, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to do. Yeah. Um, but it was cool to hear Ryan say that, no, he said directly, he's like, Noah's a little bit quicker and Gorgie's a little bit better of a shot blocker or rim defender. Yeah. So we're going to play that line accordingly. Uh, and then occasionally they are playing the two bigs when the game necessitates that. I'm, I guess I'm thinking ahead this weekend. We got Washington. They're never going to play two bigs. Houston, Houston never going to play two bigs. Utah. You know, yeah, that's the next two. I, I'm looking forward to those Utah-Utah games. Yeah, those are going to be fun. I've had that circled all year because I want Cat to take all of his anger out at from not making All-NBA 13 on Rudy Gobert, who yeah. made All-NBA 13 in back-to-back games. Yeah, I'm try and find a time to write about that, like before that happens. There, Utah's just interesting. Like you want to, this Wolves team wants to show that they're like you're for real. Like knock off Utah at least one of those times. Knock them off both of them. Yeah. Like, well, you're they're starting to show it. Like you pushed Denver to overtime. You beat the Spurs handily. If over this next week, you know, you beat the Wizards and you're, you know, you're competitive and you take one or two of those Rockets, Jazz, Jazz mm-hmm. games, like you're gonna start to to turn some more heads. I think, I think the Rockets fully healthy and functioning would be a bad matchup for the Wolves, but they're not fully healthy, and I think they have so they have a Friday Saturday back to back. So they play in Houston on Friday, and then they have to fly from Texas to Minnesota. 
on and, Friday evening for a Saturday game. Like that, normally, just how this works in the league is they when you are on a back-to-back, they try and they try and keep you at home if possible, home-home, like the Wolves have on Friday and Saturday. Or if it's if you do have to travel, that you're like going Milwaukee to Minnesota or yeah. Chicago to Minnesota or something like that. Or like LA to LA. Or so the, yeah. it's just, I'm pointing that out because that's like one of those games where it would maybe pop up as a quote unquote schedule loss, yeah. which is good, which is good news for the Wolves. And I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of those Rocket players, maybe Russell Westbrook sits out that game. Well, and Clint Capella's hurt right now. And Clint Capella's hurt. Yeah. I mean, who's going to play? Who's going to play? Tyson Chandler, baby. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> How many minutes could he play? I don't know. I don't We just kind of cut Noah Vonley short there a little bit. But he's just, I, I, I tweeted out during the game. He's like, he strikes me as a player who watches a ton of film. Yeah. Like I'm watching him. I was like, yeah, I feel like you just did something that you picked up on film like this afternoon. Yeah. And, and that's that's cool that Ryan said that. That is, yeah. I, that I wasn't. Imagine. I wasn't him. I wasn't the one asking him that question or like leading that at all. He just said that. Like that's such a high compliment mm-hmm. to just say like this guy is just a hundred percent prepared every time. Which God, I mean, how our uh, our preseason Noah Vonley takes of like potentially a selfish player. Like that is, those are aging <laughs> poorly. Yes, <laughs> he's been no. He's been he's been a super solid guy. Seems like a really nice kid too. Uh, Shabazz Napier. So, uh, like Jake Lehman, personal high 22 minutes per game. Also, personal high 8.4 three-point attempts per 46 per 36 minutes. But he's making 22.6% of his threes. His career. Many, lo- do you have how many he's totally taken? I don't. I don't. Front of you. Um, can't be that many. No, it can't be that many. But so that's kind of why I bring it up. He's always, yeah. he's never been an amazing shooter, but he's always been a solid one, like in the thirty-three to thirty-seven percent range. He takes hard ones. He takes hard ones, and I think that's why he's not a thirty-eight percent guy. I agree. Yep. So I'm just excited to see the the progression toward the mean that's going to come from Chabaz Napier from right. beyond the arc. He's going to start making those pull-up threes more than he has. Yeah, and. <laughs> That it's he's another interesting kind of wrinkle to the whole, like the whole Wiggins and Culver point guard sort of thing. Like, no matter what, if you disagreed with what I was saying before about Jeff Teague, like this team is going to play point guards alongside Andrew Wiggins this year. Like, yeah, they're not going to just take Teague and Napier out of the lineup. So it, it has to be something that they figure out. Mm-hmm. It's been great. I'm great. I'm glad Wiggins has been good these four games. But I promise you, I know for a fact, this coaching staff could not wait to get Jeff Teague back, to get Shabazz Napier back, because of any position, like, that guy is really important. What Ryan said, and it was basically his way of saying a big reason why they lost the Denver game was because they didn't have Jeff Teague in the fourth quarter or a point guard in the fourth quarter. And he goes, that's the most important time to kind of have that quarterback of your offense. Yep. He goes, we want to play with pace all the time, but particularly in the second half of the fourth quarter, you got to slow it down a little bit. And you know what Denver did? Because Wiggins was point, right? Mm-hmm. They had Torrey Craig start picking Wiggins up full court the whole time. Yep. And Wiggins was having trouble breaking that. So so now he's like, he's got to like turn him, turn him, turn him. He hits, he like, then Wiggins is like, okay, I got to get the ball out of my hands because I'm at half court. Like he, then he throws it to Josh Okogie and now Josh Okogie's like, okay, am I the point guard? Like. That whole part of the equation is removed if you have Shabazz Napier or Jeff Teague in the game. So they need they, they could use Shabazz yeah. and Jeff both back. And I'm 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 excited to see that. I also want to just it's worth pointing out that Shabazz Napier is a solid defender. He has been surprising to me. He's in every passing lane. He's quick, he's agile. And the Timberwolves It's are, the best Tyus comparison yeah. part of his his game to Tyus's game. Everyone was kind of making that. Yep. Like and the numbers bear it out. It's yeah. again like the on off. He's missed some games. Mm-hmm. But the Timberwolves, the defense is allowing twenty fewer points per one hundred when Napier's on the floor. <laughs> twenty. <laughs> he's always he's always popped in those sort of metrics and that yep. sort of way. Like let's see once um because they played we're playing both Napier and Teague together. Yeah. Before those guys went down, basically maybe, at the same time. Maybe that becomes a second unit thing. Mm. I don't know. Ah, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Our last one is Gorgie Jing, who started the season not in the rotation, but is now kind of sort of in it. Yeah. 
and good for him. It, it was hard to dig up a stat on him because he's just played so little. But one I did find is that this is like by far a career high for Gorgie Jang. 92% of his field goals have been assisted this year. 92%, which is like really high. He doesn't even qualify for the like position group percentile hmm. because it's, it's a low volume. But if, as I scrolled through the whole leaderboard, the only player I could find who's 92% or above was PJ Tucker. So it's just like uh. Gorgie Jang knows his role right now. And I like that. Yeah, so it's it's just more so like his his buckets in the past a couple of years ago were like he would kind of catch it, like fake a dribble handoff, pivot, pivot, square and shoot yep. like a 16-footer. He's not doing that. Yeah. yeah. Just, huh. His shot looked a little bit off in the last game. He missed a couple threes badly, but I'm just glad that he's has the freedom to take threes all across the board. Like, yep. I mean, that was just always... He's always been such a good shooter. He's always been such a good shooter for a center. And then I watched Jonas Valanciunas launching threes for the Grizzlies or Aaron Baines. I'm like, okay, Tibbs, we gotta let we gotta let Gorgie yeah. do this. Like it didn't make didn't make sense. So I guess we'll see how the numbers all you know shake out. But what we know about Gorgie is he will accept a a a role, a low usage role, even if you increase the minutes, whatever. The one year he started, he was like 13 percent or something usage rate. Yeah. Like he. He'll do what he's told, provided he's told what it is. And um, provided he's told. Yes. Yeah, but that's a big thing for him. And and that's what Ryan is doing. I mean, Gorgie, maybe more than anyone on this team, and I hit a big week winning that uh, the award last year. Maybe I don't remember if it was you or who I was talking to about this, but I mean, he seems to be in the best mood I've ever seen him. That's awesome. He just like seems like he's like loving life. Yeah. And, um, like he sits next to Wiggins in the locker room and those two are like brothers. Like it's just, whereas he was like, he was like hood up and out of there last year, like upset. And he's, he smiled. There's a, there's just a lot more of that in the locker room. And I guess winning kind of solves a lot of that. But um, I do think, I do think it's more, I think it's more than that. And I think Corky's a pretty good, uh, he's a pretty good example of it. I bet you he's enjoying his time as a Timberwolf now as much as he has any year in his career. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we went through the whole roster. This, uh, I guess by next time we do this, there will be those four games. There'll be Washington, oh, Houston, yeah. the two Utah games. I'll be telling. What do you think? Two and two? Yeah, that'd be my guess, two and two. That would feel solid as well. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even really matter which two. If you right. lose to the Wizards and then win two of the next three, yeah. you'll still be happy. That would be so, that would be so old old wolves to lose to the wizards that's true and i mean you just have to stop bradley beal yeah but bradley beal is like a kyrie irving he is like a d'angelo russell in the sense where they'll just if the wolves don't adjust he will shoot 35 shots Mm -hmm. and and just to go over and over again and try and get 50 himself yeah so you've got to diversify the coverages i think that's one of those guys where you can't just say we're fine with you taking 17 18 footers it's too good at them yeah. All right. Um, that's all we got. Until next time, Charlie is at C John's NBA on Twitter. I'm Dane at Dane Moore NBA on Twitter. On Twitter. Till next time. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man. I hope it never stops. Yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down. Yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around. Yeah.